this morning is Sarah Harridan. She's counsel with Holland and Hart, a tax guru genius, <laughs> attending the Opportunity Zone Summit being held here in downtown Reno on March 19, 2019. And Sarah just had the opportunity to present during the opening session about Opportunity Zones and OZ 101. <laughs> uh, so thank you, Sarah, for taking the time to join us quickly. Thank you for having me. Sarah, I thought I'd uh, throw you, throw you a, a soft, uh, easy one to start. <laughs> uh, perhaps based upon your background and experience, you can tell us a little bit about Opportunity Zones from the tax perspective and what that means for businesses operating within an Opportunity Zone. Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, I don't know if I'm going to live up to the tax genius uh, uh, description, but I would be happy to explain um, Briefly, sort of, or 101, what opportunity zones are. Um, so they are, so as part of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that was enacted um, at the end of 2017, there was a new provision added to the tax code um, that um, provided for qualified opportunity zones and provided for um, really significant tax benefits for investments that are made into qualified opportunity zones. Um, so the first, the first sort of step in the process was um, the states all had to designate the zones. So, and there were, you know, criteria that the federal government gave them to designate their zones. Um, mostly, though, all of the zones are, of course, in underdeveloped, um, uh, economically, um, uh, poor economic development areas. Um, so the states had to, del they designated all of the zones by the middle of um, 2018 is when all of the zones had to be designated. Um, and then the Treasury certified the zones, which was a pretty quick, easy step. Um, so now we have these zones, and they're sort of all all over the country and, and kind of in areas that you would suspect a lot of them in, in various areas of low economic development, um, high unemployment, high poverty um, areas. And the Qualified Opportunity Zone part that was uh, the provisions that were added to the tax code are meant to, of course, incentivize um, investments and incentivize economic development in these areas. Maybe you can yeah. talk about those incentives a little bit. Yeah. Why, if I'm an individual business, what are the tax incentives for me as a business to invest in an Opportunity Zone? So it's really, it's not as much, there, businesses can take advantage of it, but it's more of a individual investor benefit. And so let me walk through. So there's three major tax benefits to investments in qualified opportunity zones. And the first I should say, starting off from the, from the get-go, is investments aren't made ex directly into the zone themselves. They're made into a fund. So first you have to identify a fund, which I'm sure, you know, your broker or anyone can help you um, find a fund to invest in. Um, but the first piece of it, the, so the first major tax benefit is gain deferral. So that's gain deferral on capital gains that are invested into a fund. That gain is deferred, as long as the gain is invested within 180 days of when it's recognized, um, the gain is deferred until the earlier of whenever you sell your interest in the fund or December uh, 31st, 2026. So let's give me a little example here because I think it's better than an example. So let's say you own some stocks, some IBM stock that you've owned you know, for a few years. You bought it for $100. It's now worth $200. Um, so you have a $100 gain, tax gain, in that investment because you had a $100 basis and you, you know, it's fair market value. You're getting 200, you get $200 cash for it. So you could take that $100 of gain that you had in your IBM stock, so the $200 minus your $100 basis, your $100 of capital gain, and invest it in a qualified opportunity fund. And that $100 you would not pay tax on until the earlier of 
when you sold your interest in the fund or all of the tax will be owed on December 31st, 2026. So it's important, there's a couple pieces here that are I, I want to highlight, I, I should say. is One is it has to be a capital gain. So if you sold an asset that generated ordinary income, um, you wouldn't, you can't, that's not eligible for the, the tax benefit of investing in the fund. Strictly capital gains. Strictly capital gains. So um, stock is a good example. Um, second is it has to be invested in a fund. Um, which you know we can we talked about um, a fund is usually uh, it's going to be set up as either a corporation or a partnership. So you're going to actually buy interest in a company. Um, and then the third piece is that you have to do it within 180 days. So if I sell my stock on uh, 180 days, so if I sell my stock on June 1st, 2018, you know 19, I have to invest it by. If I'm doing the math in my head quickly, <laughs> I think it's December 1st, 2018. Um, so those really those are the three major requirements. So that's the first major tax benefit. Um, the second major tax benefit is um, initial gain reduction. So and that allows for a basis step up in your original investment after um, five years and then after seven years. And this is much better explained with an example. So let's go back to our IBM stock. So we sold it for two hundred dollars. We had a hundred dollars of gain that we rolled into the fund. And when we roll it into the fund, it has a zero basis for tax purposes because we haven't paid any tax on it. So that $100 that we, you know, of gain, we didn't pay tax. So it starts out with a zero basis. So if we hold the interest in the fund for five years, the basis automatically goes from zero to $10. 10% of our original $100 is now, you know, it's eliminated, the gain. And if we hold it for seven years, it goes from 10 to 15, just like that. So then at the end of eight years, at 2026, because in my example, we bought the stock, we bought the interest in 2018, um, the entire, or I'm sorry, you, at the end of 2026, now you're only paying gain on $85. So the, the $15 of the gain is completely eliminated. So that's the second benefit, which is significant. Um, and then the third benefit is probably the biggest one that people talk about and the most important, um, which is complete uh, gain elimination in your ozone investment. So again, back to my example, um, if we invest our $100 of gain into the fund, we get the two basis step ups, we pay the, 80, the remaining $85 of gain, we now have a basis of $100 in our fund interest. And let's say, as long as you hold the fund interest for 10 years, so you have to hold it for 10 years, so we, we invested in 2018, it's now 2028, um, the interest in the fund is stepped up to fair market value right before your sale. So let's say that our fund interest, we put $100 in, after 10 years it's now worth $400. Right before we sell the interest in the fund, after 10 years, the tax code, the, you know, the law says you get a basis step up to $400. So then when we sell it, ta-da! There's no gain because <laughs> it's we get $400 worth of cash and we have a basis now of $400. So that's really, I think, the major benefit that people are, are really excited about is complete gain elimination on the appreciation in your in your, in your um, investment in the fund. Absolutely, and, and I, I think it's probably one of the, well, it is the primary strength of opportunity zones um, is, is, again, 
you know, eliminating those tax liabilities for individual firms, you know, as a way of encouraging them to invest in economically distressed areas. Um, you know, historically, from an economic development standpoint, we've always been very much of the provide land, provide cash as an yeah. upfront partnership. Uh, but here now we have an opportunity for individuals and individual firms uh, and primarily funds uh, to provide direct investment on the private sector side yeah. into economically distressed areas. And even for direct investors, so even you, know, you and me, to go and sell our stocks and have this gain that we can then roll into a fund that maybe if we would make an investment in a mutual, in a venture capital fund or private equity or, you know, these, it allows individual investors to make these um, investments into funds. Yeah. And to, you know, I think people, one of the big questions I get asked is, okay, I own property in the fund. Like, how do I take advantage of, you know, I, I, I hit the jackpot. My land that I've owned for 10 years is in a zone, right? So how do I take advantage of that? Um, and there, it's, it's very technical and a little nuanced, but essentially, you know, if the fund itself has to purchase the land from you, um, and then you can only own less than 20% of the fund. So there are some nuances, but you could. You could easily, you know, if you own a piece of land um, in a qualified opportunity zone and you think this is a great opportunity for some apartments or a hotel, um, you could sell that land to the fund own a 20% interest in the remaining fund. Um, and then, yeah, the fund can go out and, and there are a lot of requirements, which is beyond the scope of this conversation, but there are a lot of requirements for the fund itself. You know, it has to be invested 90% in qualified opportunity zone property. And then, you know, there's specific requirements, which include either a qualified opportunity zone business or the fund itself can also own interests in a corporation or a partnership that's running a qualified opportunity zone business. So there's, and then there's different thresholds. So 70% of, of, the, of the activity of the business has to be generally with respect to the, the in a qualified opportunity zone. So there's very specific requirements, um, compliance requirements for the fund to maintain its status as a qualified opportunity fund. Um, and those sort of requirements are checked every six months. Um, and so it is, it is kind of also, I think, you know, people, don't necessarily understand that there are all these, you know, pages and pages of treasury regulations that require compliance if you're going to set up a fund. But we have seen, you know, a lot of a lot of developers are setting up funds. Um, a lot of uh, just general, um, you know, private equity firms or, um, you know, a lot of different folks are setting up funds um, to take advantage of either property they own or just to sort of set up the fund to take advantage of all these great tax benefits. <laughs> well, and uh, it, it is those, those regulations uh, and pages and pages of requirements uh, as to why if you are interested uh, in setting up a fund, if you are interested in pursuing you know, a corporate or business interest in an opportunity zone, that's why you should contact Sarah at Holland and Hart. Uh, these are truly the experts uh, and the people to reach out to. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, uh, for sitting down with me for a couple minutes and talking about opportunity zones and primarily those direct benefits. Uh, again, uh, this has been Fred Steinman with the College of Business at the University of Nevada, Reno, with Sarah Harridan. Thanks uh, for having me, by the way. Thank you. Thank you for <laughs> joining us and uh, look forward to talking with you further. Thanks.
we're here today, of course, talking about opportunity zones and what opportunity zones mean for the various communities throughout the state of Nevada. Uh, Lyon County, of course, has a very important opportunity zone tied into the Tahoe Reno Industrial Center, located just across the county line in Story County. Uh, with me right now is Scott and Vida Keller. Scott is the current chairman for the County Advisory Board in Silver Springs, and Vida is, of course, a county commissioner with Lyon County. What, what does this Opportunity Zone mean for Lyon County and specifically Silver Springs? Well, I believe that Silver Springs has always been the considered the middle of everywhere. Um, we're the crossroads of Highway 50 and 95A. Uh, we're 30 miles north of Yarrington, our county seat. Uh, about 13, 15 miles uh, south of Fernley. So we, we kind of fit in the middle of everywhere. Uh, USA Parkway, as we know, um, has continued from the Tahoe Reno Industrial Center and comes out at Highway 50 in the middle of Silver Springs. Um, we've been working on infrastructure uh, needs and analyzing what was there, what was not there, uh, finding out where we were at with the schools. We've done a lot of work um, over the last 20 years uh, to poise uh, Silver Springs for major growth, uh, both industrial as well as you know bringing in retail and expanding um, our housing area. Uh, as most people know, Lake Lahontan is in Silver Springs, so that's always been a draw for people to come out there. Um, we're very rural in nature, so people with horses, that kind of thing, love animals, uh, could come out there, they can get the five acre parcels, and, and have a small little ranch. But we have a, an area that uh, we call the Triangle, which is Highway 50, 95A, and Ramsey Weeks Cutoff, that is really slated and master planned for more suburban type living, which is great for a downtown area for Silver Springs. So we have 160 acres we've been looking at there, uh, moving forward uh, on that with uh, tentative maps and uh, approvals from the former commission before I sat there. Um, so all these things have been put in place, you know, everything's been mapped out, water, sewer, where, where all the pipes are, um, how much capacity we have. Uh, with this opportunity zone coming into play, now we have an opportunity for a 20,000 acre parcel that is lies on the Story Lyon County line on USA Parkway that they are now calling the Northern Nevada Industrial Center. Uh, it's going to uh, help them bring in uh, investment dollars on a bigger scale. I mean, that's what's great about Opportunity Zones. You don't have to think small, you can think big. The 160 acres that uh, I talk about is uh, at the corner of Opal and Spruce which is the south leg of USA Parkway, where it comes into 50. And that's slated for a full retail center. So there'll be, you know, probably condominium type housing, um, grocery stores, retails, uh, you know, big market type stores, big box stores. 160 acres, you can pretty much build a city. Um, but, you know, we're not looking to be a city, we're just looking to be downtown. And uh, this, like I said, this opportunity zone is, uh, kind of came along at the right time. We've been working on this for many years and, and it's having that opportunity, hence the Opportunity Zone, um, popped in and, and this is going to enable us to 
be probably you know the one of the biggest metropolitan areas eventually over the next 20 30 years of Lyon County. Uh, for, for those of you that don't know, you've been apparently living under a rock for a while, but Lyon County has always been a very important county and community for all of Western Nevada. Uh, has always been central to a lot of the growth and development, uh, not only just within the last 10 or 15 or 20 years, but for the last 100 years of Nevada's history. Um, in Lyon County, the great thing from my perspective of doing a lot of work in Lyon County over the last couple of years has been access uh, and the engagement from the public um, in outlining a larger vision uh, for their individual communities. Uh, Scott, as, as your time on, on the County Advisory Board uh, for Lyon County Silver Springs, uh, your time now as President Chairman of the Silver Springs Mutual Water Company, uh, what vision do you have uh, for Silver Springs in relation to the Opportunity Zone? Well, I think that everything in our, our community is uh, pretty much community-driven. Uh, we've looked look for uh, bigger uh, projects to come in, but we've never been able to land any of those bigger projects. This Opportunity Zone enables those people to invest in our area where we didn't have investors before. So we've got our infrastructure, we've got the uh, major roadways going through, 130 million in the last two years, just in highways into Silver Springs. So looking forward, uh, I think it's a big opportunity. Absolutely, and you know, one thing that maybe either one of you or both of you can comment on is the, is the investment and the work that it has taken to get to this point. Um, I think there's probably a, a perception out in the world that you, you know, development can occur overnight. We wave a magic wand and all of a sudden we have all the retail and the recreation we want. Although from our perspective working on the public sector side, we know that a lot of foundational work has to be done. Um, maybe you could talk quickly about all that foundational work as now it, it relates to taking advantage of this opportunity with an opportunity zone being there. Well, I'd like to start off with the example. Um, we have the Silver Springs Airport in Silver Springs. It's a county-owned airport, um, but it's leased out to uh, an LLC. And, and those folks came along, um, Kay Bennett and her husband Hale, many years ago in the 90s, um, when it was nothing but tumbleweeds. We had no fencing, nothing, it was a dirt runway. And, and they came in and started, you know, taking those steps to move it forward. They cleaned it up. They worked with the FAA and the county, you know, to where now we, we have a runway. We, it is all fenced in. We, you know, we have the weather station. We have all the, the components. They have fueling now. But that has taken all of these years. I mean, they started in the 90s, and this is 2019. So that's a good example of the years that goes into something. USA Parkway is another good example. You know, they tried and tried to get, you know, something going over the hill from TRIC in Story County into Lyon County. Lyon County didn't have the money, Story County didn't have the money, and it just looked like it wasn't going to happen. But, you know, we went to Governor Gibbons back in the day and said, hey, you know, if we're ever going to do this, we, we have to commit time 
and a little bit of money. And, and he committed. He, you know, he gave us a, a document in writing and said, you know, we, we will start doing, you know, the environmental, um, that what we call a NEPA, uh, for a piece of BLM land that we needed to go across. Um, we needed some design work done to also accomplish that NEPA. And, and those things take two, three, and four years to accomplish. We started putting those things in place. And, you know, as time moved forward, we, we kept moving forward with the design. And then Story County, you know, finally made a deal with uh, Tesla. And Governor Sandoval got involved in that and made it happen. With that came funding. We were technically shovel ready, but everybody thought, oh my God, we've been talking about USA Parkway for all these years and you guys just up and did it overnight. Well, not really. You know, 20 years, you know, in the making, 10 years of serious work in the making, and then finally the funding came along and we not only have USA Parkway, but we went to them and said, hey, you know, we got Silver Springs, we're gonna be developing a downtown area. They were going to just dump out at 50 and do a high T. We're like, we can't do that. So again, we went back to the Governor Sandoval, went to NDOT and said, we need to look at this closer. How are we going to you know, feed that traffic through this um, USA Parkway to the other side of 50? We now have a roundabout to get us there. But these things take many, many years of, of putting things in place. Um, Silver Springs Mutual Water Company, you know, my husband's sitting here, he's the president of that uh, company, and he could talk more to it, but over the years, they, they kept making um, strides in um, getting new water towers, and people at the time were like, well, we don't need a water tower because you, you service just fine now. Why do you need another tower? Well, if you're ever going to grow, you need to prepare for the future. You need to put in more water lines and cover, make a bigger service area. Um, sewer, same way. So, a lot of years go go into absolutely, and that ability to write a check is everything, right? Exactly. Without the funding, without the resources, all the things we talked about in terms of infrastructure are pie in the sky fantasy. So, to have that funding now available and come available to build a road, make improvements to infrastructure, water, sewer, power, roads, you name it. Absolutely, absolutely critical. Scott, any thoughts about that? I really don't have too much to add to that, except that, uh, like with the water company, we've uh, a lot of it, like putting in a bigger tower and stuff, was actually for fire flow so that we have better protection for our community while preparing for the future. So sometimes it's uh, twofold. Uh, having a big highway out there, we don't mind having that if there's no cars on it. We'll still have a nice road to drive on. So. As far as I'm concerned, anything we can do for our community uh, to be prepared for the future and not, you know, if you think of things ahead of time and so you don't end up with those roadblocks in the future when growth does come. We're prepared for growth. Absolutely, and for those of you not familiar with Silver Springs, as Commissioner Keller was pointing out, it's right at the intersection of Highway 95A and Highway 50 in Central Lyon County. And if you haven't checked out Silver Springs, you need to today. Uh, fun things happening in Lyon County throughout the entire county, but certainly in Silver Springs. And with the weather now getting nicer and lots of water in Lahaden, now's the time to get out there and start enjoying those recreational opportunities. Well, thank you very much, Scott, Vida. I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, and again, uh, this has been Fred Steinman with the University of Nevada Reno College of Business. Thank you for listening.